With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome to NJSB's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings educational and state leaders to you. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this afternoon's program. Today, as usual, we'll be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room open if you want to uh, uh, pass along a question to our guests. Uh, Jennifer will be monitoring the phone calls. Uh, if you want to call in, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and then press one, and that will indicate to our switchboard operator, Jennifer, that you are ready to ask a question. She'll get your name and uh, your topic or question. Uh, I will ask that if you're on the phone line, that you turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone, since there's a slight delay and it can be confusing. Um, if you're just listening on your computer, like I said before, we do have the chat room open, and I'll, we'll be looking at that, so we'll be passing some of those questions or comments on to our speakers. Uh, you do have to log on uh, the chat room. You will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Uh, this afternoon's program is on transgender issues, which have recently been making the headlines in the press and social media. Uh, but if we're kind of honest with ourselves, uh, it is an issue that many of us grapple with understanding. While reading the headlines and watching issues on TV is interesting, it, when these issues occur in our schools, it become more real. When a school district is uh, confronted with transgender issues, whether a staff member or a student, they will be guided by discrimination laws and policy that take into account an individual's rights and safety. I believe my three guests that I have with me today, who are all attorneys, uh, with different firms and have looked at this issue from different angles can help guide district leaders in this area. Uh, first, I'd like to uh, welcome Robin Geigel with the law firm of uh, Stein, McGuire, Pantages, and I think I messed that up, and Geigel. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Ray. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, and second, uh, I'd like to welcome Theresa Moore with Riker, Danzig, Scherer, Highland, and Peretti. Welcome, Theresa. Yes, hi. We're based in Morristown. Good to be here. Okay. And finally, uh, I would like to welcome Luann Peter-Paul, who is with Gluck Walworth. Welcome, Luann. Thank you, Ray, and I can't think of a more timely conversation to have at this time. Okay. Uh, Just uh, very briefly, I'll start with you, Robin. Uh, What's just your background in this uh, field? Well, I, I guess the issue kind of chose me, Ray, because I am one of the few open and out transgender women in the state of New Jersey who is practicing law. Um, and um, I transitioned myself six years ago and uh, became an advocate um, based on my own personal experiences and then wanting to help other transgender people both in terms of employment law, which is my primary background, and then uh, that kind of segued into um, the school issues because so many uh, transgender 
teenagers, young children are coming out at earlier and earlier ages. Okay. Uh, Teresa, I'm familiar with your law firm, but why don't you uh, introduce yourself and your background? Sure. I've been a school board attorney for over 25 years, and I uh, counsel school boards in all sorts of issues, including uh, issues concerning students and staff who are transitioning or who are transgender, and uh, looking forward to talking about those issues. Okay, and finally, Luann, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Yes, thank you, Ray. I... um Thankfully, was was part of a group of people who co-authored the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights, which passed in the legislature back in 2010. I was appointed a member of the Anti-Bullying Task Force, and I'm currently serving uh, as a member of that. And um, I am also chair of Garden State Equality, who is very active in terms of the Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights and providing guidance both to schools and to students. Okay. Um and I've had conversations with each one of you, and I'm, I'm actually very excited. I think it brings good perspective to this. Uh, before we start really into it, uh, Robin, what's who is a transgender person? Because most well, of us have a hard time grappling this issue sometimes. Right. Uh, transgender itself is an umbrella term, and that refers to people whose gender identity or gender expression um, does not coincide with the gender or the sex that they were assigned at birth. So in other words, when all of us are born, you know, the doctor says, congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you have a little boy or you have a little girl. That's the gender, the sex that you were assigned at birth. For a transgender person, their gender identity or their gender expression does not match that assigned sex. So there's there's two different terms within there. There's there's gender identity and there's gender expression. And I think that the part that most people grapple with is gender identity. And and the reason for that is for 99.5% of the population, their gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. So they most people don't generally think about their gender identity. However, you know, science has pretty much confirmed that everyone does indeed have a gender identity, and in 0.5% of the population, or one-half of 1% of the population, um, that gender identity does not match. So there's an incongruence there, and that's what a transgender person grapples with, that disconnect between their internal sense of self, who they feel they are, and that's their gender identity and the sex that they were assigned at birth. And so, I mean, you know, again, for most people, it's a very difficult concept to understand because they don't think about their gender identity. But for a transgender person, they think about it all the time because there's a a, a disconnect. Uh, Luann, when do they... Um this oftentimes it's a secret or not a secret, but something that they keep to themselves for a certain amount of time. When do they start to become uh, a transgender? When, when do they move their gender? When they become public, and is it just a a statement that I am I have changed my gender? When does this kind of become legally official? Luann. 
I wish the answer were that simple, Ray. As Robin has described, it is a process that an individual goes through. Now, within the school system, a child has a right, a student has a right to self-identify as far as their gender identity. And schools, depending upon the age of the child, um, must know the um, wishes of that child, even if the parent are not on board. So it's a very delicate issue. Mm-hmm. Hopefully most most parents will be supportive, but a lot of times they're not. So the schools have to be very sensitive to a student who is um, transitioning or self-identifying um, in, in terms of their gender. Uh, Teresa, uh, can, I, yes. can I just speak to, to one thing that you said there? Right. Uh, and, and Luann spoke to someone who's transitioning in school, and, and she's absolutely right. I would just say that your initial question, when do, does somebody decide that they're transgender when they transition? No, a lot of people never transition, but they are transgender. Um, so I think we have to keep clear the okay. concepts between being transgender and then actually transitioning from the, the, the sex you were assigned at birth to the gender that you identify with. So it's the term I use, trans, it's the transitioning when they're, they've kind of let uh, the rest of the, uh, the community know that they are who they feel they've been all along. That is correct. Okay. Uh, Teresa, uh, we were talking about from a school's perspective, a student begins transitioning, uh, and that is when they self-identify to uh, hopefully – their parents and others. Uh, what does that mean for the school district? What do the, what do they have to look at at that point? Well, it depends depends on a number of things. Depends on um, the age of the student and what that means to self-identify. For one thing, we could talk about that. But you know, comes the issue comes to the fore in a number of different ways in school. Often a child wants to be called a different name than they were assigned at birth, and that name may reflect a different gender or it may not. Um, They want to be referred to with a different set of pronouns than was used with them before. They may want to dress a different way, uh, in a way that's generally assigned, a way that's generally um, that kids from another gender use. you know, comes up, we'll probably talk about this later, in terms of what bathroom they're going to use or what restrooms they'll use in the school facility. But the overall legal construct that applies if a child comes to school and um, is identifying with a gender other than that that they were assigned at birth is um, in New Jersey, the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, which all school districts, all public school districts are required to follow and have been in a lot of different ways for a long time because that law has been in effect for a long time. Um, But the law specifically says that um, it prohibits any kind of discrimination based on sex, gender identity, or expression in public accommodations. And public schools are a type of public accommodation. So The overall um, goal is to accommodate that child's preference in gender identity in a way that makes sense and is safe for that child. The specifics of that um, 
can vary from child to child, depending on the age, depending on exactly what kind of, um, well, I use the word accommodation, uh, kind of preference that the child has. And I don't mean accommodation in the sense of some form of accommodation of a disability, because that is a, a term that we use in public schools to talk about a child with a disability and accommodating that disability. I didn't mean it in that sense, because I don't see, and I don't think I know the law doesn't see currently anyway, um, gender identity and expression as some form of disability if it's not consonant with the um, gender that a child was assigned at birth. Uh, so we I've have been... the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, and, and I want to also tie into something Luann said. We also have the New Jersey Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights, which um, is now on the books um, and has been for several years, that also uh, prohibits discrimination based on gender, um, sexual orientation, and gender identity and expression. Uh, Robin, uh, in my reading, and I'm not—I'm the only one here who's not a lawyer, uh, but it seems in my reading of some of the articles in the cases that are brought up, once someone self-identifies or transitioning, they are now either a, a female or male, and if you discriminate against them in either case, uh, it's sexual discrimination, uh, at least in New Jersey law, is that correct? Uh, the the answer is it's a violation of the New Jersey law against discrimination, as Teresa described. Uh, gender identity or expression is a specific classification within the law against discrimination in New Jersey. We have one of the best laws against discrimination in the country, and it does since 2000. It was passed into the amended in 2006, effective 2007, include gender identity or expression. So, if somebody was discriminated against based on that, yes, theoretically they they could term it as gender discrimination, but more likely an advocate would use the specific language of the statute, which refers to discrimination based on gender identity or expression. Let me just follow up on that, too, because uh, uh, Teresa mentioned it, and when I talk to people outside uh, about doing this program, I think I don't finish the sentence before the word bathroom comes up. <laughs> uh, and the question is, how do you, and using a, a term that uh, Teresa used, but they look at how do you, which bathroom they use. Is that an accommodation? Uh, just tell us how the, the bathrooms work with a transitioning student. Uh, Ray, I, I often say that whenever I speak on transgender issues, the three questions I'm asked most are bathrooms, bathrooms, and bathrooms. Um, and um, it, it does seem to be a hot-button issue. I, I mean, first of all, the law is very simple. As Teresa said, the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination defines public schools as a place of public accommodation. Under the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, a person is allowed to use a sex-segregated facility, so a men's room, a ladies' room, a boys' room, a girls' room, in accordance with their gender identity or expression. So the law is real clear, and it's real simple. Now, people have these misconceptions that, and, and I think it particularly refers to someone who is assigned male at birth and self-identifies or, in what I would say, has a, has a female gender identification, right? So it's not really, I mean, yes, it's self-identification, but this is who they are. This is who they've always believed they are. Um, and so what I think people get upset about is that they see boys or men using 
the girls' room or the women's room. And, and that's simply not the case. I think the disconnect is that we look at transgender, and let's, you know, we'll say transgender women. So someone who was assigned male at birth who now is living as female, um, we see that person not as who they are. We don't see them as a woman. We continue as a society to see them as a man or a boy. And so that's why people get so upset, because they say, oh, that boy is using the girls' room. Well, he's, he's not, because he's not he. She is using the girls' room just like any other girl would. And we have to get beyond this concept that transgender kids are any different than any other boy or girl. They're but what not. I find, Rob, oh, sorry, Robin. Okay. No, that's um, okay. Yeah, what I find when uh, school officials are confronted with this notion for the first time, what you just said, I think, is consistent with law and should be practiced. But it's not the first thing that often comes to mind when a school administrator, or school principal, or someone is approached with the request that a transgender child use a bathroom that says on it boys' room or girls' room, you know, and they identify with that, with, you know, another gender. So the first thing a lot of principals will think is, well, gosh, how can a little girl who, a a child who I knew to be a girl when they enrolled in school, and that's what the official student record says, um, now is telling me that they identify as a boy and want to use the boys' room or vice versa. And so I'm I'm not saying that principals aren't all enlightened, but it is a first, it's sort of like I called it before, a gateway issue for many schools, you know. Well, gee, what Mm -hmm. do we do? We've got these rooms that say girls' room and that say boys' room. And the first thing schools tried to do in the sort of early days, you know, was to, um, to address that situation by providing a single sex or unisex or a gender neutral bathroom for the child. And that could often be uh, in the teacher's lounge or in a nurse's office, something that, you know, was a single stall, closed door. So nobody knew who was in there and why they were using it. But the law does not frown. It frowns on that now and says, no, that's not appropriate. That's not a, that's not um, uh Consistent uh, address, with the law. <laughs> it's against the law because the New Jersey law against discrimination says that people shall be admitted to sex-restricted, that boys' room, that girls' room, facilities, boys' locker room, girls' locker room, based on their gender identity. The word didn't get around right away when that was part, became part of the law against discrimination, but I think now most schools do know that. And uh, maybe the scenario I just painted wouldn't happen today like it did happen before where principals were sort of caught flat-footed for a while thinking, well, if I just, you know, make the bathroom well, and the nurse's office available, I'm doing what I need to do. A follow-up to that then would be that a, a school district should have a policy in this area. I know then NJSBA has a policy, or but they can have their own po- a policy on how to deal with this, which is in compliance, obviously, with the law. Uh, um, and absolutely. May I just yes. jump in here a little bit? I also understand that the Department of Education is looking at adopting a guidance policy for schools to use. And, and with regard to, um, you know, the restrooms, 
there can be a gender-neutral restroom, but you cannot force that student to use it. The student really has the choice um, whether or not and, and where they feel safe enough to, to use a particular facility. I'm just and, and I think I, and I think what Teresa spoke to and, and Ray, your your observation in terms of what the questions that people ask you this this is the hot button question and it is something that that people you know immediately think of. But for for anyone who has been in a girls' room or a, or a ladies' room, you know that there are single stalls with locked doors, and, and I think it, it is really an issue that is more of perception than reality. There is no documented case of any transgender child or adult causing any problems in a bathroom. Probably the most nervous person in the bathroom is the transgender person because they just want to use the bathroom for the same reason that everybody else does. Uh, Yeah, and there uh, are cases that have come up where people, you know, parents may have been concerned, uh, others, that a transgender child was using a particular bathroom facility, and they lost their claims against school districts in New Jersey. Well, I don't think that's been in New Jersey, but certainly in uh, other states, there are a number of reported decisions on that point. So it's not going to be a winner if somebody, I can't imagine it would be a winner in New Jersey if somebody... Uh, brought a claim against the school district saying that they shouldn't allow transgender children to use um, sex-restricted facilities. I just want to do a uh, – I'm going to make a, an assumption here, but we're just talking about students, but it's possible that you could have a staff member who's transitioning too, and I, I would assume the law holds the same exact way uh, that they'd be able to use the, the facilities that they want to use. Is that yes. correct? I would agree that with that. That is correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, and one of the other things that I, I think some people throw out, at least from some of my reading, is uh, I think it's called an imposter, that someone says decides that they want to – they're a 15-year-old boy who wants to go in the girls' room and so that they say that they're transitioning. Uh, is that something that uh, anyone has seen as a real issue anywhere? No. No. Uh, no. <laughs> And, and I mean, you know, other than in some um, some people's fantasy life, um, it, it's not reality in any way. I mean, you know, a child who has a a gender identity issue is is not doing it because he or she wants to use the opposite sex facility or feels like they they want to go into the girls' locker room. That person believes in their soul, just like every other little girl, that they are a little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so imposters, imposters don't have gender identity issues. They're right. not transgender people. They're imposters looking to do something illegal. And, Ray, may I add something to that? It, it, because that, that ties into the, the word and, and use of the word preference. This is not an issue of where someone prefers something. This is an issue of who that person really is. It's their true identity. So, you know, we we need to stay away from the issue of I choose to be. It's really who I am. Right, right. Uh, I I actually can't imagine most someone doing that just for that uh, reason myself. Uh, I guess the other thing that has come up is uh, athletics. Um, Athletics. in particular in the high school, and athletics is a big deal. 
How is that guided, though? Is uh, is that something that they're through code with the NJSIAA? Yes, the NJSIAA has has a transgender policy, which it's had for a number of years now, and um, it says that a child should be eligible to participate in interscholastic athletics in a manner consistent with that student's gender identity. So I would say that that's very consistent with the law against discrimination. Um, They do require, well, they require schools to actually make that initial determination of what um, the, the student's gender identity is, and they also require um, official records to be presented to support which, that child's identity, which is a whole okay. other area of of inquiry. But things like yeah. birth certificates, um, passports, driver's license, that kind of thing, that indicate the child's or the student's identity. Okay. I mean, gender, excuse me. Gender. Uh, yeah. uh, Ray and, Robin. and Teresa's... Absolutely right in terms of what the policy is. I, I and she touched on there are some other issues that arise as a result of that, which is, as she said, it requires the transgender student to produce some form either of identification or a physician certification that the the student has had the appropriate clinical treatment or a physician certifies that the student is in the process of transitioning. Um, and so you get into issues of, of not everyone transitions in the same way. Not every treatment is the same for every transgender person. Not everyone can afford the things that some policies make necessary. So, I mean, yes, I, I do think that the NJSIAA policy is, is a positive step forward, um, but there there are other issues that it has created, and in particular, since um, in New Jersey, the New Jersey law concerning birth certificates says that you cannot change your birth certificate unless you have had surgery, and any physician in New Jersey or elsewhere who is following the appropriate medical guidelines, any person under the 18 is not eligible for surgery. So we have this disconnect between what is the appropriate medical treatment for a transgender child and a law that says you have to have surgery to change your birth certificate. So we need to change the law concerning birth certificates so and that... Haven't there been efforts to do that, but they haven't... They haven't yeah, they, they were passed in 2013 by the the state senate and the state assembly and unfortunately governor christie christie vetoed it in january of 2014 the bill has been reintroduced and and hopefully will be coming back up and and hopefully this time around the governor will sign it Um, and i i I know that it's um coming up for the assembly vote this thursday may i just add something to that so so there really is not confusion on on um student records you do not need a birth certificate change of the of the um, gender marker in order for a student's records to reflect their true identity um, a student's legal name is not determined solely by a birth certificate and it doesn't hinge on a student's ability to get a court ordered um, uh, you know court order to change their 
their their identity. It's at the request of the student and or the guardian or parent that the school must, in fact, reflect the student's um, true identity. Wait, okay. Let me so let me most things, if I could. I guess the season, once the student self identifies and makes that statement to the school district or or staff member, uh, the transition has been made. Uh, we have a little issue there, I guess, with the with athletics, but um, well, we have an issue not just with athletics, Ray, but schools are are they're sort of in the middle here, in the sense that I, I wouldn't agree entirely with. Luann, although maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I would, because <laughs> here's the thing: it depends on what she meant. <laughs> when a child is enrolled in school in a public school, they have to present legal documentation of, of who they are, of their identity, and the usual way is through a birth certificate, um, which itself does have a gender marker on it. As you say, it has a gender identity on it. Now, and, and a name. Um, if those two pieces of information, the name and the gender, should change at some point while the student is enrolled in the school, a school district cannot change those two markers in the permanent student record without a court order or um, a, a new birth certificate, which, as we know, may or may not be uh, something a child can get while they're under 18 for under the current state of law, but that may be changing. So what schools have done often is the permanent record remains with the original name or the birth name of the student and their birth gender, birth assigned gender, but they can be referred to with their preferred name or their new name. Um, they can be on things like class lists and that sort of thing, which are not legal documents. Um, some schools say, well, you know, we pull our class list from the official uh, the official enrollment documents. Yes, but those class lists can be changed. They can be modified. Mm-hmm. So they can reflect what the child wants to be called and is actually being called if it changes. Um, so, you know, what I would call unofficial records in schools can reflect the identity of the student, but the permanent records aren't going to be changed very easily. All right. Uh, I just need to move on. To Ray, a, can, a, I, can I put on my advocate's hat just for one second? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, didn't know, um, I didn't realize you took it off, but that, that's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> New Jersey, few people know that New Jersey, is, in addition to having a name change statute, is also a common law name change state. In other words, you can change your name in New Jersey just by using a different name. Now, I'm not saying the preferred way to go, and I'm not saying that that's the the easiest way to go, but when you couple that with the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act, I think that there is a, a, a legitimate argument that a transgender child who has not changed their birth certificate and has no court order in terms of changing their name, still can change their official records through a common law name change and then through the use of of FERPA, the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. Um, So, I I mean, you know, again, I I don't think either Luann or or Teresa is wrong in anything that they've said. I'm just saying that there is this other avenue that is out there that people should be aware of um, in terms of 
again, we get into a whole set of situations where people can't afford certain remedies that the law may or may not provide them. There are alternatives. Uh, let me just switch gears a little bit. This is, must be a, a, a difficult situation for a student at any age. Uh, and also, you, there's probably an adjustment by the their classmates who may have known them for years as one person. Um, how do we make this transition, I guess, better for all parties involved? Are there any best practices that can be done so that uh, the student uh, can transition uh, uh, easier? Um, sure. Ray, may I may I address that yes. just in, in in a brief way because Robin and I both had experience in a school district that um, was far ahead of other districts several years ago when this issue arose, and the school listened to what the the student wanted and what the desire of the student was, and then created um, a method to address educating the other students and the staff within the school, and that was that the student wanted the school to go into each one of that student's classes and announce the fact that that student is now going to be known as um, another name. And what was quite astounding is Robin and I were both present and participated in this. What was quite astounding is that the students adjusted and adopted to that when it became transparent and, and they were very much aligned with what that student's wishes were. It, it was a little bit more difficult with the staff in terms of their recognition of the student's rights, but they eventually adopted um, that and the school district eventually sent a letter home to all of the students, uh, parents or guardians within that grade and there was only one negative response. So, you know, it, it really entails a lot of communication and finding out what is in the best interest of that particular student. So uh, if I'm hearing, uh, the district needs to communicate with pretty much everyone, the students about the situation, with the, the staff in particular, I guess in particular the staff, the school that they're, the student's in, uh, and also the parents. Uh, because as we know, people get upset about the books kids read in school or the tests that they take. So I think this is kind of a community, I don't want to use the word outreach, it's a community uh, communication. Well, oh, not, not well, necessarily. Yeah, right. well, okay. it, it, it's really based upon what the comfort level of the student is. I right. mean, there may be other students oh, okay. who do not want that information passed mm -hmm. on. In this particular case, that student was comfortable with the information um, about the transition being communicated to others. Right. Okay. I, that would also, too, with whatever school – if there is a district policy or school policy on uh, gender identity and how to handle various situations that arise in school, it's not required by New Jersey law that there be such a policy. But as you said, Ray, there is, a, I think, a very nice uh, uh, sample policy on – on uh, gender expression and gender identity that is available through the New Jersey School Boards Association. I happen to know that the three of us uh, on your panel had some input into that, and I think we got um, some but not all of what all of us would have liked to have seen, seen there. But, but some of us wear an advocate hat, so. It's a start. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but uh, having a policy, and not just in this area, is being proactive and looking at issues that could have happened so that it's something where the staff members can fall back on and at least start 
their plan of action. But if I'm hearing it from you uh, correctly, um, I'll go to you, Robin, on this question. It, the transition might depend on the age of the student or the how the student wants to have it handled themselves. So it kind of the, the school will have to really communicate with the, the student a little bit uh, as to how to uh, transition. Absolutely right. Um, every transgender person is different. Every person who decides to transition wants to handle things differently in terms of their own personality and what will work best for them. Um, if the parents are on board, I mean, it is something that absolutely the parents, the student, the, the school, the administration, they should all be working together because at the end of the day, the, the, the first thing, the most important thing is, is the best, best interest of that child and, and making sure that their educational opportunities are, are not um, diminished in any way. And, and then dealing with the collateral issues that, that may or may not come with it. And as, as Luann said, I, I think, you know, the kids in the school usually get it much better than the adults. And I'm not saying that the adults, especially staff and, and administrators, don't get it. But it, it's, it's a lot easier for the students because there truly is a generational component to this. And, and the kids do seem to get it much easier. Uh, I just have to back up. Uh, there was a question in our chat room uh, about the official record. If someone uh, transitions after they graduate and they need their high school diploma, but it has an old name, uh, which I'm sure is probably an issue with uh, anyone who transitions at, at a later age, uh, is that an issue for the school district? Yes. Um, the okay. district, <laughs> that is one of the areas where this comes up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh so the district issued the diploma in the name of the the legal name that the student used when they were enrolled in the district, but that name has changed. They can request that a diploma be issued in a different name. Okay. That's, uh, so they have to have a name change on their high school diploma in records, I guess, it's, if it's after the fact even. Well, yes. this is an emerging area. Yeah, I can't answer I, I mean, uh, both it, names would be in the official district records, I think, but okay. not, you know, but the district uh, can issue another diploma in a different name. Okay. All right. Um, I just uh, want to just ba go back to the transitioning. Uh, first, uh, is bullying, uh, I would assume, uh, and I think I read that <laughs> bullying would be an issue with transgender students. Uh, uh, and I guess is that handled just like any other bullying situation? It, it's handled with the same philosophy as other bullying situations, but in this sense it's different. The school must be um, very conscious and sensitive to the needs of the child. Do the, are the parents aware? If the parents or guardian are not aware, how, how does the child want that to be handled if, in fact, they're being bullied because of of being transgender. So it's it's handled according to the procedure set forth within the statute, but from um, a case-on-case -case basis, it must be handled in a very delicate way, um, looking at the sensitivity and the needs and the best interest of the child that's involved. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Know, and we've been talking about the student. Uh, if a staff member uh, is a 
transgender uh is a transgender uh individual uh is there anything different the same laws apply uh is there anything different uh about that situation that any different laws well let's just say we've come a long way since the Paula Grossman case which i just want to throw out there as a historical reference because in New Jersey we actually have a situation that's on the books where there was a tenured teacher in the in the in the school district in Bernardsville who um underwent sex uh i guess sex reassignment surgery to move from being a woman i mean a man to a woman is that right robin yeah man uh, to a woman and um was brought up on a tenure charge for incapacity and conduct unbecoming, and the district sought to remove her, not because she was a bad teacher in the classroom, she was actually a music teacher, um, but because of this sex change that she went through. This was in the early 1970s. And guess what? The appellate court said, yes, that was a basis for stripping this teacher of tenure. Now, that was prior to gender identity and expression being part of the law of discrimination in, in New Jersey. Uh, but still, it's it's kind of horrifying to hear that in 2015. I don't think that would happen today. Um, I, I, I feel very confident in saying that it wouldn't happen today. And to get to your question, Ray, uh, I, there is no difference. I mean, the, the law, the same law applies. The law against discrimination applies to employment um, and it applies to public employees just like it would to someone in the private sector. And same laws apply in terms of public accommodations um, and things of that nature. So a teacher, a staff member, an administrator, they are protected by the exact same laws. And, um, you know, as Teresa said, the, the Grossman case goes back to the early 70s. Um, a lot has changed in the LGBT community in general in terms of public perception and, and certainly in terms of how we treat individuals. Um, um, when students transitioning, I probably should have asked this a while ago, um, you know, is there certain things that the district has to make – be aware of, Therese, maybe you can answer this, or and that's, uh, Luann or Robin can follow up. Uh, you mentioned using the correct pronoun, uh, making sure their name's right. Are there any, and I, I'm not going to spend any more time on bathrooms, but uh, is there anything else the district should be aware of that generally comes up as to, to make the transition easier? Uh, well, again, it's it's a case-by-case basis of what the student is, um, is looking for and wants. Um, there are issues that come up in terms of the dress code sometimes in schools. Mm-hmm. If, a, if a child wants to dress as uh, the gender uh, in a different you know, way that's associated with a different gender, um, school, school dress codes should probably be written to allow for that because I think that would be consistent with um, not discriminating against a child based on clothing preference. Um uh, what other uh, – we talked about locker rooms being an area. Sometimes overnight trips are an issue, you know, uh-huh. where boys and girls are separated for sleeping arrangements or other reasons, usually sleeping arrangements. And the question comes up, well, you know, my child um, identifies as a girl but was assigned 
uh, a gender of male at birth, she wants to sleep with the girls. And so schools sometimes have to deal with that, although there aren't that many overnight trips that public schools sponsor. But it has come up, and it's come up in case law, too. Again, the law of discrimination would apply there to um, allow that student to have the same sleeping arrangements as the gender with which the child um, identifies. That would seem, Robin, this would seem to be the same issue uh, as a bathroom. The, the the student decides what their gender is. Their gender, um, right? The answer is yes. I'm not, I wouldn't say a student decides what their gender is. A student is who they are. Um, yeah. And and so, it, it, it again, it goes to the fundamental question of identity. And, and people have such a hard concept with understanding that this is not something they decide. No one chooses to be transgender. This is not a lifestyle choice. Um, you don't decide to be transgender. It chooses you. You don't choose it. Um, and so, yes, it's governed by the same principles because the principles are based on the concept, uh, on the belief that a transgender person is who they are according to their gender identity. Uh, just a, a little follow-up for any one of you because this was on the uh, the chat room. Uh, does this is there any age where this doesn't account? Uh, is, is is the child too young and kin- at five or six, or is this something uh, that uh, can happen at any age? Um, I can I can say from both professional my professional experience that I have represented parents whose children have transitioned as early, socially transitioned, which means that the child was assigned one sex at birth and has began, begun to live as in, in, a, in a form consistent with their gender identity as early as five and a half and going to school. Um, and, and I can also speak to it personally, is that I, despite the fact that I did not transition to later in life, I knew from my first conscious memories of three or four, that there was something that was not right, that my who I thought or who I believed I was was not consistent with how everyone else saw me. So it, not everyone is the same, not every transgender person is the same, but you will find consistently that many transgender people have this core gender identity and know it from their earliest conscious memories. Okay, um, we actually went a little over uh, in my time. Uh, I got a. Uh, it was very interesting conversation. Uh, I like to thank uh, all three of you. First, Robin, uh, I like to thank you for joining us. Thank you the for program. having us. Thank you for having us. Uh, Luann, thank you for joining us, and Teresa, thank you. Uh, and I like to thank everyone for listening and for some of the questions that were sent to me. Uh, and have a good afternoon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.